Hello and welcome to another episode of the Super Top Podcast. I'm Podrig, recording from Vancouver. And I'm Machine recording in Dublin. This episode is brought to you by Steamclock Software. We'll talk a little bit more about Steamclock later. To start off, we wanted to follow up on a point that we discussed briefly on our podcast last week, and then we followed it up with a blog post about App Store review prompts. Uh, we wrote a blog post called Notifications Are Better Than Alerts, and we filed a radar. The basic point is... We feel like a notification would be a much better style interface to ask a user for a rating versus a modal dialog box that blocks the user from doing anything. We explain it all on the screenshots in the blog post, so we won't, we won't cover it all again right now. But we got some feedback on it, so we thought we'd go through some of that. Yeah, it was mostly mostly very positive. We got lots of likes and retweets, so that's basically what I live for, so that makes me happy. <laughs> we got a link on Darren Fireball as well, which that uh, is a rare occurrence, so that was nice as well. Yeah, that was cool. It's nice when Apple does something and we're able to react to it with some kind of constructive suggestion. I like when those things go around and a few people write follow-up posts. Yeah, we need to keep thinking of constructive suggestions to blog about, I think. It seemed to work out pretty well. Um, I guess maybe probably more interesting to talk about some of the more negative feedback that we heard. It's just kind of more interesting to follow up on that stuff than talk about people that said we we were right and we were great. (laughs) Um, So they fell into like like a few broad categories. So you mentioned that in the blog post we made the point that like the that the notification UI might be a better way to like deal with these things because it's not modal and doesn't block the user from interacting with the rest of the app. Some of the feedback I think got really hung up on like that exact implementation that like we like basically to mock it up I just wrote some code to use like actual notifications that are already there and stuff just because that was the easiest way to make realistic looking UI um, and something that looked like it was going to be native to the platform. Um, I think the main point of the post was more that it should be non-modal than that it had to be based on exactly the same technology as mobile as as notifications right now. Um, so some of that stuff was like taken very literally, and it was like things like, "Oh, but what if they have notifications turned off for the App Store, but reviews turned on?" Um, and some of that just kind of seems a bit stranger because it's like it's software we're talking about right in here. I mean, like you can you can work around things like that. It's not um, we're not talking about trying to change like the laws of physics or something. Yeah, for example, the the low power mode switch once once you recharge your phone after switching on low power mode, iOS just gives you a notification saying that it's turned it back off, and that's not there's no way to turn that notification off as far as I know. So like Apple has the power to send notifications whether you like it or not. Hmm. Or even like notifications at the moment have to be like in their initial state, they're pretty passive. Like you can tap on them to jump to the app or you can press them or slide them down depending on the context to expand them out. But it doesn't always have to be that way. Uh, Like so one of the arguments was like, oh, well, this is going to be an extra tap because the stars aren't there immediately. But I mean, if Apple decided that this was a way that they wanted to do things, I mean, they could make it so that there couldn't be a notification or a notification style uh, interface that has stars on it that you can tap to rate an app without blocking the whole rest of the screen, basically. Um, so I think there's like ways around those things. Yeah, there was someone else wrote a post arguing that the user should never, ever be interrupted because they don't care about your app rating, which I guess is fair enough. From our perspective, I think we're trying to persuade Apple to do something that they want to do but we want them to do it slightly differently. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if we can get to a point where there's no ratings on the App Store and the user's never involved in that. 
or like that's a much different proposition. I guess you can make that argument, but we're just trying to shift the direction that Apple moves this feature rather than saying they should or shouldn't have it. Yeah, we've never put like an alert in one of our apps to try and that jumps in your face and gets you to asks you to rate the app. Um, we've done like other like suggestions in different places where we can ask you like in settings and stuff to do it. But um, Apple has decided as a reaction to like how lots of other people are doing this that they're going to have like an official way to do this. And their official way currently is this alert. I don't think they're going to take out that API altogether now that they've announced it. Um, so it's more just like what might be a, like a better way to do it than like how to improve upon like what's there right now. I mean, yeah, you can make the argument that they like nobody should use this API and that's fine. You can say that, but we're coming from the point of view of it's there. What way could it be better? Yeah. Can we talk about what Gruber said in his post? Yeah, he said whoever wrote this is very smart and I definitely agree with it. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, quote. I'm on the fence about his idea. There's no question that the current design in the 10.3 betas, the modal alert, is more intrusive. But developers get to decide when it appears. That means if they're hoping for positive reviews, it's in their own interest to show it after the user has done something, not while they're doing it. What do you think of that? Um, I think I'm going to pull up an email here in front of me. Just one second. <laughs> actually what i responded to john privately was i just said that like i'm not certain if notifications are the perfect answer but that i think something non-modal would be an improvement on what's there basically what i've been saying um and as you wrote it's in our interest to be tactful about when we present the alert but in most cases i don't think there's a clear-cut line where a user still has the app on screen but doesn't have their next task in mind um so yeah we can do our best but like you have the app on screen there's a good chance, like as as careful as we can be about like, oh, we think at the moment it might be a good time to ask, but I don't think that's clear cut in most apps. Yeah, th th there are maybe some apps where there's an obvious place to do it, but most of the time you're either working towards a particular task or you're leaving the app. So yeah, and it applies either way. Like we should choose the right moment to ask the user, regardless of whether it's a modal alert or an easily ignorable one. Mm -hmm. Like it's not, I think he's defending the concept of Apple having an intrusive modal alert at all, rather than uh, distinguishing between the two approaches. Yeah. yeah. Um, he did see, he said afterwards, I'd bet that Apple considered something pretty much exactly like what Prendival is suggesting, which I don't know, like my pet theory about how we got to the point that it, with the UI alert as it is now is that someone designed this alert as if it was going to be triggered off a rate this app button. And then the policy was figured out that uh, you'd only get to show it three times and it would never show again if you had rated once. Well, and then they didn't change the UI to match that new intention. So showing an alert directly off a user action, if a user tapped, yes, I'd like to rate this app, that's totally reasonable to have a modal there because they asked for it. But it's pretty weird if, like, from a user's point of view, it's just going to appear randomly now, and it's going to be this annoying alert. So I could I could imagine that, like, yeah, just the order these decisions got made is why it is the way it is now. And so I hope that they'll go back and rethink it because, I mean, this is what the i this is what iOS one or iPhone OS one did. Like, it gave you alerts all the time. Mm. Um, and now, I mean, there are better ways to do these things. So 
Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I guess we won't know really exactly how they came to to this design. Um, the thing is, it is very much like the way ratings alerts have been done in apps that don't mind bothering the user before. And the user doesn't usually know in those apps when it's going to show or when it's not. Uh, but when it does, it blocks the screen and they can't do anything else. And Apple has followed that pattern with this design, which I think is unfortunate, but we'll see how it plays out. Um, but thinking about the this notification idea um, actually started me thinking a little bit more about Castro's notifications just when I was messing around with the basically sabotaging Castro's code base to to make these screenshots for the blog post. Um, and I started realizing that we weren't really making the most uh, use of like what iOS 10 can do with notifications right now. Um, I think we like designed like what we wanted to be in the notifications when it was like for iOS 9. Um, when notifications were always small, there was always like just two or three lines um, and there wasn't a way to expand them out. So it was always a case of like, okay, what's the like shortest way that we can communicate what's happened and like direct the user into the app. Whereas even though there was, have been like actions that you could complete without going into the app. We didn't used to have like the description for the episode, for example, wasn't in the notification because it wouldn't, the theory was it wouldn't fit in two or three lines. Um, but we've started messing around with it now and we've changed it so that the description is there and you usually would only see maybe the first line of it in the like the notification that slides down from the top or that appears on the lock screen but when you expand it out uh, you can see the full summary of the episode and the actions are underneath it that you can like queue it at the top of the bottom of the queue or archive it or play it right away um, and it's been really cool seeing that over the last few days coming into into play yeah, so that's in the beta now, and it should be... I guess it might even be out by the time this episode's out. Yep, hopefully. But if not, it'll be soon. Yeah, it's really it's really interesting to me how there's a whole new way of using notifications now, that it's almost like it's like a way to multitask that you didn't have before. Like notifications previously were like, hey, something happened somewhere else, and you could tap it and go to the other app and then do something. But now when we pull this down, you can read enough of the episode summary to decide whether you want to listen to it or not and do all your triage just through notifications. So this morning I was just reading some New York Times article about how the world is ending and a notification came in and I was able to pull it down and cue my podcast and then like go back to my article. And it was it's such a weird feeling. It was like the first time I've really felt like I'm doing multitasking on my phone, even though like you can do that uh, 3D touch edge swipe to switch apps really quickly it still doesn't quite feel the same as just like pulling something down, acting on it, and then throwing it away. Hmm. Yeah, there's something really cool about it. There's a news company called Mike, and they have an app that's based completely on uh, push notifications because they can do that because it's just video and photos and text. So the idea is that you never go into the app itself. And I think that helped us see that there's a new way to do these kinds of things. Yeah, it was really interesting to me how it was like, at least initially, it was like such a small change. I was like, oh, hey, what if I put the summary into this notification? And immediately it just felt like, oh, I can now I can like make my decisions like so much better without going to the app. Um, and I mean, since then we started refining it and we'll we'll have like other, there's other details like to the to the product that will will ship next week. But even just like changing up the, like the literally the text that's in the notification uh, made a huge difference to like how how useful the feature was. So that was cool to see. Yes, yeah, it's, it's really neat. And it it brought me back to the some of the complaints about notifications were like from our blog post 
some of the complaints I think were rooted in a pretty old or like out of date idea of what notifications are. Like they can arrive while you're using the app now, which didn't used to be the case. So when I was picturing the review notification coming in, I was always picturing it like while you're using the app, never that you're doing something else and then like you're in notes typing a note and then you ask for, get asked for a Castro review. Oh yeah, that was another misunderstanding as well. Yeah, that would have been that would be horrible. <laughs> yeah. So so yeah, it's it's interesting that there are a bunch of new uses to notifications and maybe people's expectations are reasonably still rooted back in the iOS 9 version even though 10 has been out for a while. Yeah, so for developers out there I would encourage you to maybe have us have another think through um how you can use notifications in your app and if there's like new things that you can make possible with iOS 10. Yeah, one crazy idea you mentioned I think was like maybe we don't need an inbox in the app anymore and all of your triage can happen through the notification center. Yeah, that was crazy, all right. <laughs> there are one or two hitches with that and with Castro 2 I think we've tried to stay relatively mainstream and not do anything too crazy so maybe that's too crazy for us at the moment but like you could do it <laughs> it would work yeah and I think there's other features that we like have planned for the future where we wondered like what way would be the best way to implement them um, I think there's other things that we could do with notifications beyond just like let a user know that an episode is out um, so stay tuned I will talk <laughs> about those more in the future <laughs> Last episode, we asked you to send in some audio files that you recorded with voice memos asking us a question, and we actually got a few replies. So, well, let's play one and then have a chat about it. Uh, hey, guys, it's Philip from Australia. Uh, your discussion with Jared Sinclair about podcast apps and hygiene features really piqued my interest. Um, it made me wonder, how would you feel about contributing to open source projects that might seek to implement some of these hygiene features, say feed parsing or a playback engine. Could be a really good way to get into Swift. Yeah, that's an interesting thing to think about. Um, the discussion we had with Jared about hygiene features, just to... <laughs> yeah, I think by hygiene features, we meant like the bare minimum features that everyone expects you to already have. Like they're not things that differentiate you and make your app notable, but... If you don't have them, no one can use your app. So yeah, it's kind of interesting to imagine open sourcing those kinds of things that just every app has to have anyway. So it's no, there's no advantage to keeping it secret or having your own special implementation. You mentioned a podcast parser. Our podcast parser is all server side at the moment, which we're pretty makes a lot of sense for us because we can tweak things without doing a new app release. So it probably wouldn't be something we would redo in Swift, but still, I guess, potentially interesting to open source some of the server-side stuff one day. I would love if there was an open source implementation of uh, silence removal that we could just drop <laughs> <in>. <laughs> it's, That's kind of a challenge. It's hard to, for me to imagine, like, where the motivate. like, I think maybe you maybe have some more thoughts on this, but, like, where the motivation is to, like, to be open source. The dream is that, like, you release your version 1.0 and then other people start using it and then you have more contributors. So your software is getting better. Like say a feed parser, if there were five or six apps using it, the bugs would all get fixed. And and when you fixed a bug, you would be fixing it for everyone. So you get some efficiency out of that. And if it's not something you're competing on, then like there's no huge disadvantage. But that's the dream. I mean, I think in reality, people like to have their own, like people like to implement everything themselves. Yeah, that's a good argument though. 
because yeah i guess like some of my like gut like hesitation to it is that like i feel like part of me feels like oh well like we've done that work now and not that it distinguishes our app but in some way it's like a like a guard against like new competitors coming in and that like if we were like to start like open source and bits and pieces of things that we've already done that like like in a way it's part of it like plays to our advantage for it to be hard for somebody else to make an app but obviously yeah i mean our our parser and like the way we tidy up metadata in podcast feeds that's built up over years and years of lessons from castro one it's still a hygiene feature but it was it's a it's still a barrier to entry to other people hmm. one interesting thing is the the key thing about castro 2 that's maybe unique and notable the triage idea that's not really something that's open sourceable because it's kind of a UI database feature more oh. than like a technical thing. But SmartSpeed is a pretty good example of like a clear boxed off thing that maybe would be, could be an open source project. Yeah, one one thing that could have been interesting to happen like from SmartSpeed and just in terms of like that distinction between like what is like of what is like a central feature of your app and like your central marketing point, for example, like say Smart Speed was when Overcast launched. And like one interesting response to that would have been for us and Russell and all other like podcast app makers like to get together in some kind of way, which we never did and decide like, okay, if we can work together on something that's going to be open source, we're going to like, we'll have it for ourselves and we'll share it with the rest of the community as well. Um, and Marco will have like Overcast will have like a like a, per- a time period which it it did anyhow where this was like its uh, its unique feature um, but that like if we work together like we can like be quicker to like make it more of like a standard feature across all apps um, we didn't do that though <laughs> there was a problem a few months back where our iTunes search queries were getting blocked because they added a new rate limit that was uh, much stricter than before. So like all of our users' searches were going through our server and then from there to Apple. And then Apple was seeing like 50 requests a minute come through and deciding to block it for a while. They've since gone back, but at that point, I really thought Apple could just turn off this infrastructure anytime. And it's kind of the core database for all podcast feeds. Like that's the the one place that every app can rely on being able to look up podcasts. So I remember at the time when it was broken and it seemed like it might not come back because it was gone for like a week. Um, I talked to Russell a little bit about, sorry, uh, Russell from uh, Pocket Casts about like maybe a few of the big apps could get together and just make the most basic infrastructure and then we share the costs of it and it's not like a it's not a big business venture or anything like that it's just a, a thing so that that infrastructure exists but then search came back and the the motivation to spend time on that went away <laughs> <laughs> um there are various groups working on open source um open source standards of things to change or like what could come after rss feeds or how to add different things to rss feeds and that stuff's interesting, but it, it's a real commitment to go along with any of those things. Like even if we'd just done like a basic iTunes search replacement, that would have been a few months work of a project. So you really need to believe that it's going to work out or that it's going to give you some advantage or before you can spend time on it. Hmm. Yeah, some of this, it kind of reminds me of um, Podwrangler 
David Smith's podcast app, which is like is based off his back end of Feed Wrangler. Um, but he opened up that API where, like in theory, then people could come along and write a podcast app and wouldn't need to worry about like polling feeds themselves or like like setting up like their own server sync infrastructure that like they could rely on the Pod Wrangler uh, back end. Um, and Feed Wrangler has been integrated in a, like a bunch of RSS readers, including Unread. Um, but I don't think I ever saw an app that was that used Pod Wrangler as the back end. Like I wonder if part of what could have like helped something like that take off more is if it was more of like a community project, like what you're describing, where like more than one person was like developing it and like contributing to it. Yeah, well that that brings us back to a problem that we've. I don't think we've discussed it on the podcast, but certainly offline, um, where like we would love to be able to charge a subscription for people to use our server with our podcast app, but there's no way they would do that because it's just unheard of. You just expect your podcast app to work, but if it was an RSS app, people go and people pay ten or twenty dollars a month, or sorry, a year, for the exact same feature basically of parsing an RSS feed and sending me some data. So if we had built Castro against Podwrangler, only people who are paying David Smith's twenty dollars a year could use our app. Mm-hmm. So I think that prevented it from ever having a chance, really. But if there were, if there was a different model, maybe it could be interesting. Okay, so this week's episode is brought to you by Steamclock Software. Steamclock designs and develops quality apps for iOS and Android. They use what they've learned from doing their own projects to ship products for their clients. Steamclock's work focuses on quality, polish, and user experience. They also do training in Swift and other app development topics. A lot of Steamclock's clients are tech businesses that care about user experience, but whose strength isn't mobile. So yeah, thanks again to Alan at Steamclock for sponsoring the show. Uh, they've agreed to sponsor a few episodes over the next few months, which is really great. So I really appreciate the support. It helps us keep doing this. Yes, thank you, Alan, and everybody at Steamclock for your support. And anybody out there who's looking for a mobile app to be made, I recommend you get in touch with Alan and talk to him about your project. This is Michael. I'm at LK64076007A 6007 on Twitter, and I'm wondering what your beard grooming regimen is. Was that question directed at me or you? Pretty sure it was you. Okay, well, so I get up in the morning, and I have a razor from Gillette that I bought a long time ago. Um, so I've kept the same handle, and I put different razor heads on it, and then I shave all the stubble off my face, and that's it. So your beard treatment routine is basically to make sure you don't have a beard. Yeah, eradicate. That is a sacrilege. <laughs> Interesting choice of words. Have you ever been stopped at an airport? <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, really? I've been asked in San Francisco um, if I've ever spent time in the Middle East. Huh. Anyhow, to answer the question, I have two products that I currently use. One of them is called Bad Motherfucker Beard Soap. I got that in Sarajevo. It's black soap. Use that in the shower. Lather it up. Rub it on my beard. (laughs) Wash it off. Go on. Tell me why. That's it. That's it for the beard. In the shower, at least. Um, And then I use this finest argan oil. 100% organic cold-pressed argan oil, which comes from Morocco. Uh, It's often used as an ingredient in different conditioners, but I just use 100% the real deal. Rub that into my beard once or twice a day, and I'm good to go. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, 
micro UI, I guess, next? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Icon Factory released an app called Linea. Linea, yeah. That, right? Looks pretty um, sweet. It's a sketching app for iPad Pro, and it has some special features that work with the Apple Pencil, which I think is pretty fascinating. Yeah, I don't have an iPad Pro or an Apple Pencil, so I haven't been able to try it. But um, there was this tw- there was the tweet that like brought this to my attention was by Vinchubang. Vinchubang, Vincent Bidow. It has this where he says, the guys at Icon Factory are introducing micro UI, things only accessible with the pencil. And there's these tiny little sliders on the right-hand side of the screen in this photo um, that you would never be able to use with your finger. But like if you're using this app with your Apple Pencil to sketch, you can like quickly adjust things using those sliders, which is really interesting to see like this as a potentially like a new paradigm for iPad Pro, at least for now. Um, if we were doing stuff pencil related, it would definitely be very interesting to start thinking about new ways to like introduce stuff like that. The amount of complexity you could have on the screen, like I guess a mouse does that, right? Like you can you can click a single pixel with a mouse. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's kind of awkward to target one, but the the target area can be way way smaller than a finger. It's really interesting to imagine the possible types of UI you could have if you could assume that people had a pencil. <laughs> but that one thing I wonder is like, I haven't used the app, so I don't know, but I wonder like, is it that this is the only way to adjust that slider, for example, or just that that's a shortcut if you do have an Apple Pencil? Like it's beside a button and it makes me wonder if like I'm just using my finger, maybe if I tap that button, it's going to expand out a different UI and I can like adjust whatever that slider does in there. Yeah, it's got to, there's got to be a way to access it. Yeah. It's frustrating that some of these new interface paradigms aren't like uniform across the platform. Like I know they can't release a new version of every device anytime they want to add anything, but they don't seem to rush to like 3D Touch for example still isn't on the 5SE which they're selling today. So if anyone wanted to make an interesting UI that depended on that, they can't. And they can't in a year either, even if it does change, because it takes a long time for devices to cycle through. And it's the same on iPad. Like the, I think it's only iPad Pros can use the Pencil, right? Yeah, I think so. So I, I guess it's maybe it makes sense for just iPad, but yeah. I think it would be easier to sit down and say, right, I'm going to make an app that's for doing a particular thing and I'm going to use this micro UI idea everywhere if you knew that it would work on any iPad. Yeah, I guess they're starting it that they started it that way for differentiation of that product, but it would be nice maybe if it started rolling out quicker to some out of the other iPads down the line. Maybe we'll see more of it this year. Yeah. Like I would like it on a I'm thinking I will get an a plus size iPhone next time and I can totally see using a pencil with that. Yeah, that would be interesting. And yeah, the touch bar on the Mac is an interesting new one too where like all of these things end up just being additive, like you can make them available optionally, but you can never commit to making your UI about them. That's where like any big ideas you guess hit a wall, I think. Podcast talk. That's the intro. Okay. Podcast talk. <laughs> so Serial is set has set up its own production company, Serial Productions. Did you listen to the second season of Serial? Yeah, I listened to it. I'm pretty sure I listened to it, but I don't remember it as well as I do the first one. Yeah. Well, they still they still know how to make a good show anyway. Um, the first podcast is going to be called S-Town. Yeah, it's coming in March. 
What's actually really interesting about it is that they're going to release every episode simultaneously. 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 <laughs> <laughs> every episode is going to be released uh, stimulously, <laughs> which is interesting for a podcast. Netflix style, so you can just binge on it. I think that's, especially for stories, I think that's pretty cool and it makes sense. Like, obviously, we can't create a year's worth of our podcast because we just talk about whatever is going on at the moment for us. But for story ones, it's interesting. It makes me want to get back to ideas we've had for how to manage those kinds of podcasts differently. Yeah, I think it's an interesting challenge for podcast apps um, because it's like just a different model than like most apps are based around the idea that every week or every periodically at least... um, a new episode is going to come out and like that status is important and that like defines what's important about like to the user at that time um but yeah these story podcasts i think have always provided a bit of a challenge um in apps i kind of feel like maybe castro 2 is set up a little bit better than some other apps to handle it just in terms of it's very easy to see in castro which stuff you've definitely listened to before rather than yeah, it's much clearer whether it's played or unplayed in Castro, where like most apps use that status to also mean new. Yeah, yeah. It still is awkward enough to like start a podcast from episode one and then go through and listen all the way to the end, like in series. Yeah, so I, I listened to Hello from the Magic Tavern that way. I've been listening through all the old ones and I'm about halfway through. But what I always do is I go to it in the archive, find the one, find the last one I listened to, which is easy enough to do because of the check mark. And then queue just one or two more to have them in my queue. Hmm. It could be, it could definitely be better. Even just one of the most basic ideas we had for it was that the archive, like when you're viewing the full podcast, that it would remember your scroll position. I could still use that same process, but it would be a little bit faster to find the episode. Yeah, this was one area as well where I actually started wondering, like, could this be like an interesting way to use notifications that isn't just based on, okay, this episode is new, like use notifications in a different way. Like, you know, the way when you get into the end of like an episode on Netflix or whatever, or when the credits come on on Netflix, like it'll slide over, like offer to like automatically like start the next episode or like jump to the next episode immediately. Um, like one t- kind of interesting thing to do with notifications could be that like if you're listening to one of these shows, which we basically would determine by like if there is there more episodes ahead of this that you haven't listened to yet. Uh, once you're reaching the end of the episode, like a notification could pop down and ask like, do you want to like queue up the next one to go next or like add that to the end of your queue or just ignore it? Yeah. Yeah, that'd be really sweet. I love the idea of using those notifications for uh, interacting with the app versus it just giving you information. Hmm. Yeah, we should we should do more on that. <laughs> oh yeah, one other interesting point on S Town uh, was that um, Starly Kine is on the production team for it. Oh, um, cool! So she used to do a bunch of stuff for This American Life, um, but then she had Mystery Show on Gimlet, um, and then after that left after she left Gimlet um, last year she was involved in Election Profit Makers which is the silliest and my favourite podcast <laughs> to like that got me through like the US presidential election last year so I'm yeah I'm really interested to see what she does with S-Town yeah yeah I'm looking forward to it um, so I don't have a podcast recommendation this week because I spent all of my time editing our podcast last week <laughs> <laughs> um, but 
Do you have one? Yeah, so there's, I, li- I was listening to the Third Coast Pocket Conference. They have an episode called Under the Skin, Making Audio Visceral. Uh, I should warn that it's very, very much not suitable for work. Um, it's So it's recorded uh, live in front of an audience, I think, in London or in the UK. Um, and the presenter, I can't remember her name right now, sorry, but um, like she plays a bunch of audio clips from, from different podcasts and different radio productions. Um, and what ties them together is that it's all about like audio that provokes a physical reaction, that like you actually physically feel something in your body while you're listening to it hmm. uh, which is like a very interesting premise for like a live show I think is it like you hear someone vomiting and then you want to vomit it, sometimes it's more subtle than that <laughs> sometimes it's maybe not quite it may, sometimes that's maybe it's quite on the nose but a lot of it is actually about like body noises um, which <laughs> I, I don't think there's any vomit mentioned in the in the episode but there's stuff about like like about fear and stuff that gets your adrenaline pumping or like some of the episodes are about sexual excitement um one interesting part about the whole thing is like this premise that like about the difference between audio that you is produced for radio and audio that is produced for podcasts Hmm. the idea is that like the idea that's presented is that like this type of audio that makes you like really physically react to it and uh, like is maybe like too much for radio because producers like are very wary of like anything that like might potentially like put people off or make people like change the channel right <laughs> uh, but in podcasts like you've like more explicitly seeked this stuff out and maybe you're more open to something that's going to give you a different experience than than usual so it's like basically opens up like a world of possibilities for like for people to experiment with with audio in that way and radio is often just like someone will have a radio on in a store or like there's no there's less control over you listening to it individually yeah, it reminded me of some of the discussions we've had before about like what's different between radio and podcasting and even how like lots of the times when you do lots of podcasts still like have like some of these tropes hanging on from like radio and maybe some of them still are radio shows that just also happen to be distributed as podcasts, but like and they keep reminding you every 15 minutes what you're listening to. Yeah, I hate that. This is the super top podcast, by the way. If you've just tuned in, we're doing our podcast talk segment. We, <laughs> we're discussing the Third Coast Pocket Conference podcast. One thing that jumped to mind when I heard the even just the title of this podcast was this episode of State of the Reunion, uh, The Hospital Always Wins, that we've I think we've referenced a few times as like our favorite podcast ever. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's amazing. But like there was one, there's one part particularly in that episode where like there's a whisper that kind of sounds like as if it came from behind you. And I just remembered if my first time listening to it, just like jumping, just be getting so scared by this whisper, um, like having a really strong fear reaction to it. Yeah, I remember being in like being in the metro or the subway, whatever it's called in New York. And listening to that one and like the the story is based in new york and it's about a schizophrenic guy who kills somebody and you're like they're i guess trying to tell us what it's like to have voices in your head and then just all of a sudden it really does sound like it's from behind you and yeah so it's so interesting to find these things that are uniquely podcast things that it's this isn't just a new way to distribute radio it's slightly there are some things that work better on podcasts yeah so we'll keep keep looking for more episodes. (laughs) 
Well, thanks again to Steam Clock for sponsoring the show. Um, if you'd like to sponsor us, contact us at support at supertop.co.com. No, it's .co. If you email .com, we won't get your email. <laughs> And you won't get to support this incredible show. <laughs> and thanks to Jason Kish, Philip Blackwell, and Michael Lazio for sending in their audio. Um, keep sending us your comments and questions to that same email address, support at supertop.co. Um, we'll finish up the show now with Jason's bit. Hey, this is Jason from the United States. Please, God, save us. <laughs> <laughs>